0: You're listening to Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket
1: on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I am Joe List. I am still quarantined. Are you? Have you been quarantined at all? Maybe you're in Montana and there's no quarantine. I think they got like six people there or something. Either way, I hope you're staying safe. If you are quarantined, I hope you're... um, doing it. I've been going out daily, but I wear a mask and gloves. The mask, I have no jaw. The mask just slides down. I'm the only guy who can yawn his mask off. It's embarrassing. Also, my glasses steam up. I'm a nerd. Um, I'm not really. I just have bad eyesight. But anyways, welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I appreciate you listening. I thank you. I uh, I appreciate you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. It means a lot to me. I hope you're getting a lot out of it. Um, I get a lot uh, from your emails and uh, tweets and Instagram saying you appreciate it. Um, I'm looking at Twitter less, um, trying to look at Instagram less. Um, I'm here, Today's guest is Mike Kaplan, and Mike has some great wisdom, as always. Mike is someone I've wanted on the show uh, since I first came up with the show. He was like one of the people I had in mind of like, that's the guy I got to get. Mike is a um, practicing Buddhist, I would say. We talk about it. He has a way of uh, describe himself. We're into Buddhism, we like to say. Um, but anyways, uh, the episode is with Mike Kaplan, and he is one of the smartest people I know. I've known him for almost 20 years now, which is crazy. Makes me feel old. I think I met him in 2001. We might've met before. My first memory of him is outside of Madison square garden. There was like a two minute audition for the Aspen comedy festival, which was like a big deal. Um, back in the day, it was like the HBO Aspen comedy festival. I don't think it exists anymore, but me and, uh, my friend Dan Hershon and Mike O'Neill and Tom Dustin were all new comics. We were good buddies. Um, uh, Mike O'Neill, I don't know anymore. I don't know if he's doing comedy. My friend Dan Hershon is a collaborator, a friend of mine. He does editing and writing and photography. Um, and hopefully he'll be a guest on the show. He also happens to be a close friend of Mike Kaplan's. But that's neither here nor there. Well, it's somewhere. It's here. Or maybe it's over there. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's here and over there. But anyways, and Tom Dustin, of course, is one of my closest friends uh, of all time. Somebody I consider like a sibling. Anyways, the four of us drove down to New York to do this two-minute audition. And there was a long line outside and Mike Kaplan was at the front of the line. And that's where I remember meeting him. And um, I don't think I liked him, frankly, but that was my fault. I was uh, an asshole who hated everybody and very cynical and angry and alcoholic. And um, that's something I got to battle with to this day. Do you guys have that tendency? You meet someone, you're like, who's this fucking guy? It's in me. I don't know if that's Boston or alcoholism or both, but... Anyways, um, I got to know him and love him. I love Mike. And um, he's somebody I always look forward to seeing. And he has a quality that I love that when I see him, I can't wait to share something funny. He's a lover of jokes, as am I. And as soon as we see each other, we go through all the funny stories, puns, situations we can think of or great bits we've heard. And um, I don't know any that consumes more comedy than Mike. He's seen every special. He knows every bit. He watches it. He loves it. He always has. And, um, just an extremely smart guy and well-read and you're going to hear a lot from him. This is, uh, it's a lot of Mike because Mike has a lot of thoughts and opinions and they're fascinating. I feel, um, I don't want to sound too dramatic, blessed, grateful to have access to his mind. Um, he's kind of a guy you just, you just let go. He goes. And, um, there's a lot of, great stuff I get from him. So I always enjoy seeing him. I was happy to have him on the show. And he says some stuff in this episode that has changed the way I'm living my life, at least temporarily, uh, hopefully for a while. But uh, he's got me um, not looking at social media for a couple hours. This is what I'm doing for uh, the first two hours of the day, minimum. I don't look at social media. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit in the episode. There's a lot here. Mike is great. He's got a new album coming out May 8th, and it goes uh, up for sale for pre sale tomorrow. So you can go hit that, do that. He's got a couple of other albums you should check out. It's uh, MYQ Kaplan, K A P L A N, if you don't already know him. You should. He's a wonderful comic and a wonderful guy, and um, just a really good person. And I'm grateful that I know him. And I'm grateful you get to listen to this conversation. And uh, I hope you're doing well. I think it sounds like things are getting a little better. I don't know. Sounds positive. I've been avoiding a lot of news because, uh, I can't stand some of the people person on there. So I avoid a lot of the news, but, um, I don't know. It seems relatively positive and I'm just trying to do my meditation, check in with friends, doing the zoom hangs and meetings and the whole thing. So I hope you're doing the same, taking care of yourselves. And uh, I've been listening to a lot of tunage, and I'm always listening to a lot of Jackson Brown, who, has, uh, who had corona. Hopefully he's recovering. I believe he's doing okay. But um, to me, he's like the best songwriter, him and Paul Simon, uh, and of course Dylan. But I put Simon and Brown above Dylan. How about that? The fucking record just scratched. Um, he's the, the greatest to me, Jackson Brown. I love him. And here's a little bit of love from Jackson Brown. Here's a verse that I love of his from the song For a Dancer, one of the best songs ever. Keep a fire for the human race. Let your prayers go drifting into space. You never know what will be coming down. Perhaps a better world is drawing near. Just as easily it could all disappear. Along with whatever meaning you might have found. But don't let the uncertainty turn you around. Go on and make a joyful sound. Isn't that nice? Go make a joyful sound. Here's my joyful sound, my podcast, Mindful Metal Jacket. And here I am talking to my friend of close to 20 years, Mike Kaplan. Thanks, guys. I love you. Oh, yeah. It says recording oh, now. All right. Perfect. Oh, that's good that it lets you know so I can't secretly record you.
1: Yeah, that is good. That's against that's <laughs> against the law, I think.
0: Yes. I believe. I don't know what's what is that against the law to just record a conversation? There's there's different things, I well, think.
1: You know, uh I I think it's different different places, but uh when I when I was at BU, I was a resident assistant and uh in our training, they were like, you know, it's it's against the law to drink underage, right? And so if there was like a loud party and we showed up and they were we're like, "Hey, give us your IDs and it like you're allowed to have alcohol if you were old enough but if you were underage then you you weren't so but that some kids would always be like well how what if i'm just drinking beer real quiet how would you even know am like well then we wouldn't know it's against the law but you get away with it and it's fine like if if you record somebody against their knowledge without their knowing and then you don't ever do anything with it it could be against the law but who cares uh until right. yeah until that point comes where Like, somebody's like, hey, you did it. You recorded me, if they know about it. And then then there could be trouble.
0: Yeah. I always think it's weird in, like, trials where, like, evidence is presented and then decided to be inadmissible. But Uh, you're like, "Uh, the jury heard that.
1: That's, uh, you know, that's a, I did, I have a bit that, uh, right now my girlfriend is helping me create, uh, like, uh, Instagram stand-up videos. And that's what, one of my bits is about how, uh, that is like it seems difficult to be like uh, they just heard the most inflammatory, exciting thing that they've ever heard. And they're like, "Will you forget that that guy said he's a murderer and I can prove it.
0: <laughs> right, right. Didn't you used to have the bit? Isn't it your bit? I think I quote it all the time and I give credit to you. So I accept. I hope it's yours. Um The bit about. Oh, wait, maybe it wasn't you. Shit. I'll think of it. Maybe you know who it is. You're a joke guy. Sure. What, um, who is, someone had a bit about, they swear you in to tell the truth on the stand, but they never swear you out. Ah, no, that's not my so, joke. Uh, it was someone from Boston that was smart. Maybe it was Peter Dutton or Joe Wong. It might be Joe Wong.
1: Yeah, I, I like could it. Be, I
0: could be Wong. <laughs> um, Joe. But,
1: but there, <laughs>
0: there was a thing, there was a thing that's a funny idea to me is that they never swear you out.
1: So like you're committing uh, you know, perjury or whatever it is that I like the idea. Like, I don't know if the act out would be like as the guys leaving the stand, as somebody's leaving the stand, they're just like, so I can like lie to everybody again. Now is that, uh, like- <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it is an interesting thing. And then it also is there to serve you, to remind you that,
0: uh, it's all pretty dumb, To be like, yeah, I swear, like you put your hand on a book, and someone else has a bit, maybe this is your bit, about like, you can choose any book that you're like, this is the book I worship. Is that true? Is that someone's bit?
1: Uh, That also does sound true. My bit on this is uh, I think that if you're an atheist, you should be able to just say to everyone, Your Honor, I like big butts, and I cannot lie, I think. (laughs) (laughs) that, But... I do have, there is some, here's some science that I've read about. Uh, There's a guy, do you know Dan Ariely? He is. I don't think so. A social scientist. He wrote a book, a couple books that are like really super accessible and engaging. One is called Predictably Irrational About How Humans Are. And one is The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. And one of the things that he studied uh, and like tried to let, like the government know because it's useful, but it hasn't made any changes to policy that on like college campuses, sometimes there's like these honor codes and sometimes like on, let's see what it was. They did a a study where kids took a test and then either at the end of the test or at the beginning of the test, they would say, I swear that I will not cheat on this test. I swear that I didn't cheat on this test or I swear that I won't. And if people, if, if it says it at the end, Then it doesn't make people cheat less because they already cheated. They're not going to go back and undo the cheating if they've already done it, but they did find that if at the beginning of the test, it says they make people promise. I promise that I will not cheat on this test. Then fewer people cheat on the test Uh, because people don't want to conceive of themselves as extra bad people, extra like they're like, I'm okay. Okay. I was going to cheat, but I'm not going to like lie and cheat. They want to be like, I'm just a cheater. But if I'm, I'm not a liar and a cheater. So they, the, the problem with, this is the way that we do our taxes is you fill out your taxes. And then at the end, you're like, I swear that this was all true. Like that's, it's always at the end. So like they tried to tell the government like, Hey, Hey, make people promise that they won't lie at the beginning and then they'll do it less. But the, I think the response they got was like, that's actually not legal to do in some way. Like you can only be like, I promise I didn't lie after you did or you didn't. So interesting. But this is all to say that swearing someone in, it does seem like it seems like magic. <laughs> like it's like, okay, so I promise, but it is, it's, it is something that psychologically helps more people uh do the thing that they say they're going to do i i would wonder to study of like how long that time period is like i think
0: about you know marriages that are over 50% divorce or whatever mm. and, mm-hmm. and everyone stands there and they swear allegiance to this person through sickness and health and all that stuff and it crumbles pretty fast a lot of the times which i like to like take I'm one of these guys. I like to take serious, like you're talking about with the test. You're like, all right, I said I would do this, so I'll do it, because I stood in front of everybody I know, or not everyone I know, not even close to everyone I know, but a small, very <laughs> an extremely small percentage of people I know, and was like, yeah, I'll do that. So I, I committed before the marriage to the person. So I wonder, like most people probably don't cheat on their wives that night. Um That might just be accessibility, (laughs) but I wonder the period of time because, you know, you swear in on the stand and then you sit on the stand. Like if you swore in and then
1: testified five years later,
0: it might be, you know, might be more inclined.
1: Yeah. There's a woman, do you know, Esther Perel? Uh, She wrote Mating in Captivity and State of Affairs, I believe, are her two big ones. Like she is a... Uh, A a couple's counselor, among other things, an author as well. Uh, And one of the things that she said that I learned about recently that I like is that she she says many people, most people, perhaps the average person has throughout the course of their lives, three great loves, three great love affairs or three great, you know, romantic relationships. But she says that some for some people some of the those three relationships could each be with the same person. So, but like over the mm. course of a life together, like if you're married to somebody for 50 years, you change so much, you know, every, you know, 10 years, every 20 years, like you're a different person, they're a different person. Maybe you still like that person, but in some ways it's important to either recommit or at least continue to have the conversation, have it be ongoing, not just like, you know, who was... If you're fifty and you agreed to be together when you were twenty, be like, what did I know? Like I hadn't even I've lived one and a half times as long as I was even alive then. So like who who that, that guy was an idiot, you know? So right. it does it seems like it is important to I feel like if you're on the stand or in your relationship, figure out like what what the science suggests is like the appropriate time to be like, oh, we've actually like uh, we need to re- re-swear you in because like the battery charge on this truth has probably diminished by now and you're about to start lying. Um,
0: Interesting. Yeah. That's, by the way, speaking of which, I just looked, my battery was at full when I started and now it's at one little bar, which makes me nervous. But we have a backup.
1: Oh, for sure. Are you? This is
0: this is half my podcast. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit, the battery might die. My anxiety kicks in. I got gotcha. you. Um, what, what was the question? Am I what?
1: Oh, uh, no, no. I, I guess to say, I was. Oh, yeah. You. I was gonna say, are you? Do you need to plug something in, or is that impossible?
0: I don't have a plug for my Zoom mic. I know they make them, but I don't have one. Maybe I gotta buy one externally oh, or something.
1: I just plug mine into my computer.
0: <laughs> oh, can you do that and it charges it?
1: Uh, you know, it's so I don't know if this is an important part of the podcast, but. <laughs> my thing is weird, like it has batteries in it, but yes. I it actually stops working sometimes and the way right now the batteries, I'll show you on the video, the these are the batteries from my Zoom mic. So right now it's plugged into my computer and it's being powered by my computer. <laughs>
0: Oh, wow. I don't even have a cord or anything. But oh, you do need a cord to do out. that. Yeah, you can't just imagine.
1: <laughs> um, well,
0: I'm at one bar. Maybe it's like a cell phone with a one bar lasts a long time. And also we have this uh, backup. And this would be very uh, Buddhist. As we're both practicing <laughs> Buddhist. If all of this went to shit and didn't uh, exist for everyone else to hear. We'd have to just accept that.
1: I can't believe we we had all these beautiful moments just for their own sake. <laughs>
0: That's what. Do you struggle with that at all? Because so much, so many of my relationships and so much of my life is on podcasts now. And now there's this weird inclination to, if a conversation is good, people are like, we should be recording this, or this should be a podcast. And I get frustrated, but I'm part of that system for sure, where I am like, oh, this is good. Like Sarah and I every night have been watching a foreign film. And it's delightful and invigorating and wonderful. And I was like, well, we should review all of them and put it on my Patreon. Like, this this could be content. And the people are appreciative of the content and they enjoy it. So it feels like a service. But it also feels like I have I have friends that I'm like, our entire relationship exists in recording as a podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a, a good question slash topic. Uh, here's here's like probably what I'll call a bit about it, but imagine just like you're having a great conversation. It's not recorded, but, you know, your phone is nearby and your phone is picking things up and like giving you ads on Instagram based on the things that you're talking about without even being on the phone. You're just near it in the same room. So it'd be like, hey, algorithm, were you listening? Can you just send that back to me? Can... Right. <laughs> Can you, government, is it the NSA? Are you guys, like, you know how... In in life for, for stand-up, the great thing about stand-up is you have like we have a conversation, you say something funny, and I'm like, Do you do that in your act? And you're like, oh no, but I will. And then you go on stage and you hone that thing as a bit, but there isn't the equivalent of that, like, oh, do you do that? That's not for that's not for like the stage, but do you have do you make that point on a podcast? Let's let's make a let's make a podcast right now, quick. Uh, let,
0: let, let's recreate this so other people can hear me saying something clever.
1: Uh, yeah, it's I, I remember as a kid, uh, I had a friend, Rose, and we we were like summer camp friends when we were teenagers. And throughout the course of the year, sometimes we would send each other cassette tapes. And like just, you know, a, like a like a letter, but just, you know, a spoken letter, you know. Uh, and oh, she, nice. she would sing sometimes. And it was just like, it was a, a cool thing. And I remember one time, like talking about this kind of concept, I was like, I'm so glad that Like we are that I am recording this because even at that time, I was like, there wasn't the capacity to record all the time. There wasn't pod technology. There wasn't like, you know, you had to you, you have to pay somebody to go to a recording studio to get something high quality. And so I was like, but look, I'm recording this into this cassette. It's going to exist forever. It's super exciting uh, that if I say something great, it'll be captured and there's no way that it can be lost. And then like I looked down and saw that I had reached the end of the tape like two minutes earlier and I was like, (laughs) son of a. (laughs) So, I mean, I think that in those moments, like it's. if we get these things, you know, beautiful things, artistic things, creative things, funny things recorded, that's in some sense a bonus. Like having the moment is like, you know, eventually we're dead. Uh, do you know, do you know the Buddhist teacher who talked about, uh, I forget who it is, but he talked about his broken goblet, you know, he's like, as I, he's like telling his students, as I drink out of my broken goblet, I'm like, this is my broken goblet I'm drinking out of. As I wash my broken goblet, I'm like, I'm washing my broken goblet. As I put my broken goblet, as I put my goblet away, and it's not broken, but it's like, I, I put away my broken goblet, and then eventually when I drop it and it breaks, I'm like, well, that there's my broken goblet, just, you know, living <laughs> living its purpose uh, exactly as it's been said this whole time, and that we are all these goblets. You know, we're all like, I. you know, we are these molecules that will no longer be together. We are this body that will not be together. We are broken goblets that are miraculously in this moment, you know, uh, not as broken as they will be. We are cohering and together in a seeming, you know, physical, spiritual, like ego uh, set of emotions and thoughts and ideas and like so like wow isn't that uh do you know the do you know the jewish song dayenu uh,
0: uh most definitely not the only jewish songs i
1: know are from kiss oh that makes sense <laughs> and the ramones uh so dayenu it's uh it's actually a, a i think it's sung around this time it's a passover uh type song and it basically is like It would have been enough, like whatever it is, like if it was only this much, Dayenu, that would be enough. And so like if we if we didn't get any of this recorded, even just our friendship, even just this moment of connection, this being together and having these ideas resonate, even if nobody else got to hear it, this would be enough. That would be enough. And so that is like the moment, the experience is Enough. And so then getting to record it on top of that, that's more than enough bonus, you know, uh, bonus content for people on Patreon. Thank you for helping us (laughs) live even longer to have even more moments because we can have, but you know, if you have, if we have enough, if you have enough food and shelter, and that's the thing you're like, Oh, this, this, it's it's so many things like this could con- this this could contribute to somebody else giving me money so that I can keep living and breathing and eating so that I can create more content <laughs> right well that's i mean that's the going is basically the the foundation of the
0: idea of impermanence of nothing is forever even this recording even the idea of like we recorded it so we have it the recording is not permanent either either Everyone will die and there'll be no one there to listen to it, so maybe it'll still exist. But the the recording itself, the software, whatever it is, will no longer exist. So the entire planet will explode, the sun will crash into it, whatever the hell happens. (laughs) But it's all impermanent, even if we have um, the recording. But, like you said, it would be nice for people to hear this because I think it's nice to hear. Now, do you spend a lot of time... Because you're a a practicing Buddhist, I would say. Is that correct to say?
1: Uh, I would say... I'm more a practicing Buddhist than a lot of people, but I'm less a practicing Buddhist than most practicing Buddhists.
0: Yeah, that's it's funny. I have a way of putting it as I say, I don't think it's fair to say I am a Buddhist, but it is fair to say that Buddhism has had a wonderful effect on my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I make it a part of my life on a daily basis situation.
1: Do you know uh there's a a joke or this this is I don't even know what it is. There's a thing from Judaism where uh they say like whatever level of Jewish you are, uh anyone who is more Jewish than that, you're like they are bananas like that is (laughs) what what are you doing but if you're any less jew anybody who's less jewish you're like they're not even jewish like so the only only people who are jewish are the people who are your exact level of it and so i feel like also for me i'm not as jewish as the most jewish people but i'm certainly more jewish than most people (laughs) uh and same thing with buddhist i like i definitely uh, in the past several years, I've read almost all of Pema shodron's books. I've read so much by Thich Nhat Hanh. I've taken, uh, classes that Buddhist friends have taught. And also I, you know, I meditate, but not necessarily, uh, always in the classic Buddhist meditation, uh, practice way, uh-huh. um, so, yeah, I definitely, I engage with Buddhism, uh, but it, oh, I, I think it would be uh, fair to say. I think you're. you're oh, uh, can you? Are, I see that you're doing yes, a lot of uh, things. Can you hear me okay?
0: Yeah, you're, you're cutting in and out for me. I think it might be my Wi-Fi. I might have to run upstairs where I have better Wi-Fi, perhaps. Okay. But uh, I. Got many of those things. I heard many of those. Pema Chodron and Thich Nhat Hanh. <laughs> Don't Don't worry about the video right now because I'm oh, just running upstairs. I understand.
1: Um, but and I yes, recorded I feel all of it. I'm reading so all those you'll, books. You'll Have be able you to hear everything most book? that Have I read said that book? later if you want oh, no. to, including now.
0: Wait, wait, hold on one second. Oh, of course. Let me get upstairs. Did you hear what I said? Am I cutting out too? Oh god, this is the oh, worst.
1: I hear that you're heading upstairs and that I shouldn't worry about the video. Okay, great. Hold on.
0: Let me key into my apartment. Mm. Well, we could probably edit this. Hey Sarah, the Wi-Fi sucks, so I'm gonna move up here. Um okay, I'm moving into my bedroom, which I was using the Wi-Fi here earlier, and it worked great.
1: I'm excited. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Oh, you're good. So, I'm uh, back. Happy, happy to have you. And, but yes, Thich Nhat Hanh, Pema Chodron, I love them. Oh yes. So yes, to to answer your question, to make a, a long story, uh, the longest, I <laughs> more Buddhist than than many, less Buddhist than the most Buddhist. Right. I was going to say, I think alcoholism is similar to that, Hmm. where
0: you're like, yeah, I drink too much. But then you see like other people and you're like, that guy's a real fucking animal. And then people that drink less, you're like, you're not an alcoholic. You're fine. (laughs) But probably all those people are alcoholics.
1: It's interesting. I I get I was talking to a friend last night who does not drink, but has recently uh, been taking a shot of NyQuil to go to sleep uh, and doesn't feel that 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 does not negatively functionally impact their sobriety but another uh a friend who also is in recovery is like oh that's a problem and so it seems like that would be a problem if you think it's a problem for you then it is if if you can't if you don't want to do a shot of nyquil then don't but if you do want to do a shot of nyquil and you think it's okay then probably it's okay and like it, 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 what a great analogy to Buddhism, because I do think the whole idea of the of Buddhist practice of, of meditation in Buddhism is that you get to do everything for yourself and see if it works and see what works for you as opposed to, you know, following something dogmatically.
0: Yeah, well, I think that that's similar with like, I, first of all, like I'm a I'm a actively sober person and also into Buddhism. And also into therapy. And I find like those are my three um, things for my mental wellness. And all three are, there's a lot, there's a ton of overlapping stuff throughout the three of them. Mostly it's like acceptance or let go and let God, as we say in the sobriety factor, which is to just say, you know, I'm not in control of any of these things. Uh, which is quite comforting, but that's generally what my therapist says: is you can't control other people. And then in AA, we say don't try to direct the movie or the play. And then in Buddhism, they say uh, you're gonna die, and so is everyone you love. Uh, but <laughs> in all three, the general it seems to me the general uh, principality if the- is that a word sure. of 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 um of mental health is acceptance. That seems like the 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 groundworks of all of it is like, all right, well, this is happening now. And a lot of it is just your interpretation of things. So like an alcoholism, sobriety, it's like you're, it's, you're not, it's not your responsibility to label anybody as an alcoholic, um, as except yourself. Um, but then there's also the thing where you're like, that guy's an alcoholic. That's not my responsibility to label him as that, but he is that, I don't know where, how I got to that spot, but.
1: Oh, you started. you started talking about <laughs> buddhism it's all good uh yeah that i mean that makes complete sense it's yeah we all get to decide who we are but hopefully by looking as accurately as possible at you know what we've done and who we've been uh as opposed to who we want to be and it's you know we're always growing and shifting and evolving and changing and we can you know acclimate ourselves and like uh accept what has been and then face the direction we want to go and hopefully like you know if you if people are like well i just drink all the time if that's a story that you're telling yourself then maybe that story will continue but if you're like well there's some been some people who have drunk all the time and then stopped drinking and now they're not a person who drinks all the time like sometimes Identity is like a comforting thing, even if it's an identity that we know is harmful to ourselves. But uh, a valuable thing has been like, you know, the the idea of the impermanence that Buddhism speaks of is like we we want to hold on to things. But uh, eventually we if you you we will not have we will not even be a. A thing that can hold on to like the thing to hold on to will be gone the the thing that holds on will be gone like there is only if anything you know the moment by moment awareness uh of everything that is slipping away or or slipping towards um right do you know i like let go or be dragged as well as a nice kind of koan oh yeah
0: yeah, that's a nice one. Well, that that's the thing, too, is like um, so much of, I mean, they talk about this in all those books and in Buddhism is that all of suffering comes from some form of attachment. This thing of like, or like right now, people have lost their job. You're like, no, no, I'm someone with money. I have money. So it's like this attachment to how things were. I can't be inside. I have to go out. I travel. I do shows. And it's like this, the attachment is what's causing the actual suffering.
1: Yes. Yeah, they're. The way, a way I've heard that put... Uh, I, like, I like the way that you put it. And another way that I've heard it is like a lot of discomfort comes from the discrepancy between where we are and where we wish we were or where we think we should be or where we ought to be. Like even like in my own life, uh, sometimes I've conceived of myself as like a happy person. And so sometimes if I'm not happy... Uh, Which is a thing that happens and is okay that it happens and is reasonable and normal and human to happen. And then this is all potentially normal and human and okay, but sometimes I will spiral, uh, like not as much anymore, but certainly one of the first times I remember in my 20s when I got divorced, uh, I was sad and then I additionally piled on on top of that, like beating myself up over being like, but you're not supposed to be sad. You're not the kind of person who is sad. You're a happy person. So now you're you're getting happiness wrong. So I was like, like the sadness, if I eventually just came to be like, oh, it makes sense to be sad, or even if it doesn't make sense, I am sad. I accept that I am sad. Right. And in that acceptance, uh, at least it, it didn't get rid of the sadness, you know, like immediately, but it at least got rid of all the extra nonsense that I was piling up on top of it about what I thought I should be because I wasn't that. I, If I should be anything, I should be what I am. Right.
0: My therapist put that uh, well one time where I was doing the same thing, beating myself up. I want to be happy. I'm miserable. It sucks. You only get one life and living life to the fullest and I'm upset and I'm sad, whatever. And he's like, well, why don't you want to be sad? And I was like, I thought he was like an idiot. I'm like, well, because it sucks to be sad. Why would you want to be sad? That's like, I'm like, this guy sucks. And then he was like, well, if your mother died, would you want to be happy? Would you want it to be like, all right, my mother's dead? And I was like, no. And he's like, okay, well, there you go. Like, sometimes you want to be sad. There's things to be sad about. You don't want to live your whole life as a sad person. Um, but you might, (laughs) um, and I guess you just accept that, Accept that you feel sadness and you're supposed to feel that, which, which has helped me during this, uh, period, what we're recording during this quarantine. And it's this thing of like, oh, I have anger and fear and sadness. And I'm like, yeah, all of those make sense. I'm, uh, I'm fearful that we won't go back to our old way of life. I'm sad because I'm missing people and things that I enjoy and I'm angry because of, I think this could have been handled better. So those all three of those uh, feelings and emotions make sense. You don't want to let them rule your life, but to be like, "Oh, that's what that is." And it's also this is where like mindful com- mindfulness comes in is like a tat- or uh, connecting those feelings to behavior of like, "Oh, I just fucking threw something across the room or I'm angry or whatever." Oh, it's because I'm angry or sad or, um, scared.
1: Yeah. I, I'm thinking about, uh, like sometimes people, if they're not in a relationship and they want to be in a relationship, they want to meet someone like some of the best advice is just to, you know, like live your life, like, like you want to, you know, try to improve yourself, try to enjoy your hobbies, try to, you know, do whatever you can to like be a person that people you know, that you would like that other people might like be yourself, be honest and true to yourself, uh, and like live, live your life the way that you want to. And like, that doesn't guarantee that you will meet someone, but you'll, it'll certainly put you in the best position to, you know, have somebody be attracted to the, you know, the best truth of who you are, who you could be. And also, even if not, then you're just, Doing the things that you want and living <laughs> living your your best way, and so I feel like the 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 caricature of it is like somebody's like, okay, so I lived I lived my truth, and still I didn't find a relationship. Like I lived, yeah, you know, I enjoyed everything that I was doing. I lived every moment to the fullest, and so now what? You know, it, it doesn't. It almost doesn't make sense. So like similarly, if you're angry. And like, it's fine to, to wallow in it for a while. It's fine. It's anything is quote unquote fine. Uh, but I, I found for myself that definitely acknowledging the things that I would call negative emotions, uh, like the anger or fear or sadness, like if I don't want to feel them. The way, you know, this is, I'm not making this up, but like the way, the way is through, not, you know, you can't, you right. can't ignore them. You can't resist them. You can't go around them. That'll just, you know, increase them. Like the only way through is, I'm like, I didn't make this up. The only way through is through. I'm like, maybe I made that one up because it sounds dumb, but. Uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but that makes sense. I mean, I agree that re- you reminded me of, um I saw like a cartoon um, like a political type cartoon or I've, and I've heard it other places and thought it is like people that like are against um, or don't believe in climate change deny climate change and there was like a cartoon of I don't know some sort of assembly of politicians and they're like damn it we cleaned up the air and water and food uh, for no reason <laughs> <laughs> it's like this thing of like alright well why don't we just clean up the environment just by chance and uh, worst case scenario everything's cleaner and better Um, oh oh, yeah which somehow is connected to what uh you were saying there of like why don't i just try to be the best person i can be and that in itself will be the reward
1: yeah uh, also
0: doing things for reward is never the healthiest thing either
1: oh yeah i mean it's kind of like this the secret is and it's not a super secret but it's a thing that like buddhism like therapy like mindfulness like you one can only do it for oneself like even if i say you can only do it for yourself like i mean like i can i only know that i can do it for myself that like the reward like the thing is the reward like the process is the product like you like focusing on the result like is not the way to get the result focusing on the process is the way to get the result like and like if you're you know recording uh, a comedy album, you know, you've been, it's the culmination of, of, you know, months or years of honing all these jokes and moments yeah. of, you know, and you're sort of, in, for me, it ends up being like almost a presentation of being like, well, yeah, this is like, like a victory lap. Like it's, because all of the moments were the thing and this is just like, look, the thing. Like, right. And some people, you know, self-included, you know, sometimes you mistake you, you can only see, this is the thing I like, Uh, Don't compare your insides to anyone else's outsides. Like if you're looking at what somebody else seems to be experiencing via like Instagram photos or Facebook statuses or, you know, even like what people are saying to your face, like you never know, like, you know, what's going on inside yourself and you're telling people, but nobody gets to know what's inside you like you do. And you don't get to know what's inside anybody else like they do.
0: Right, that's a that's an interesting um, thing, and I'm glad you brought it up because like, I have I have this sometimes with like with particularly with social media, and I'm a public uh, figure, and so and I do a lot of podcasts and tweeting and such, and you'll say things on a podcast or whatever or tweet, and then people will respond, "You're a fucking idiot for thinking that," or "You're this, you're dumb," and I'm like no i'm not <laughs> i'm not that thing and it doesn't make sense to try to explain it to those people but somehow it can it hurts your feelings or whatever because you can't it's impossible like you said it, to express who you really are to somebody that doesn't know you and i guess it's hard even someone that does know you you just trust that they um they that they know you as well as you want them to know you or as well as they can but it is difficult to be like i don't think that way or feel that way or whatever it's it's an interesting thing to be like you have to just be secure in the way you how you know you are or who you are um but it can be difficult as a public figure in this time that we're living in if yeah that makes sense.
1: oh it 100 percent makes sense uh i i hope to link what i'm about to say to what you said like there must be a link or i wouldn't have thought it But uh, I'm gonna do my best to let you know what's on my insides. Uh, My (laughs) girlfriend, who I live with and love, and I've been with for almost four years now. uh, We we have a thing in our relationship where one of our goals for if one of us is like experiencing a challenge of some kind, and like uh, we we want to always assume that we each have the best of intentions the purest of intentions for for our actions for our thoughts for our you know our interactions and feelings with and to and for each other like even if like if one of if i'm extra hungry and so i'm cranky like that's not the the, that's certainly not the truth of my best self and my my girlfriend at her best knows that and if she is overtired uh, or impacted in some way uh, I also at my best know that and sometimes you know If you're both not at your best, then there can be momentary difficulties. But it's nice to at least intellectually, if not, you know, emotionally at the core of ourselves, know that at our best, you know, we love each other. We want each other to be happy and fulfilled and, you know, creatively realized and enjoying our lives and comfortable and safe and happy and that we both want to do everything that we can in every moment that we can and be aware of to help one another experience that uh it's nice. it's nice that we have that's sort of our baseline that you know even if we do have a disagreement or a challenge that we we know those things are true even if they're not always accessible in every moment and that is my my goal like back to, I think what you, uh, part of what you were saying, like when there are people who don't know us that well, or, you know, like the same thing can be true. I think in my friendships, like in my, certainly for the people who know me the best and I know the best, like we want each other to be happy. We want each other to succeed. We want to understand each other and, and help each other and listen to each other. And then, For strangers, for people out there on the internet, for people who don't know you as well, I sometimes imagine them as children because we are all children. We are all, uh, there's, I don't know if you've read any Neil Gaiman, but there's a a book I love of his called The Ocean at the End of the Lane. And there's these, this family of sort of like eternal women that have always, there's like a grandmother, a mother and a daughter, and they've like always been, and they're sort of like maybe the universe or God personified And one of them, I think, shares that that talking to a kid, they're like, you know, here's a secret. Everyone, when they grow up, they still feel like a kid inside. Like nobody in the universe feels like an adult. Nobody in the universe really is an adult, except for maybe grandmother. Like she's maybe the only adult that there is. And so that's something that really resonates with me. Like I'm, you know, it's a spectrum. Like I am a child in one way and in other ways I'm less of a child than I was when I was literally a child. Uh, whatever time means in this reality, we exist in this at least seeming reality where time moves forward and we age and change, uh, But so the idea that like I think of hecklers as children, I think of any uh, trolls on the Internet of anyone commenting like it could literally be a 12 year old. It could literally be a teenager who thinks they're being funny or literally doesn't understand what you're saying or what you're doing because they haven't they haven't had the experiences that you've had personally, uniquely, individually, because no one has, or even they haven't lived as long or wide or deep as you have. or And there are adults like that, too. There are adults who unfortunately haven't had the experiences that, you know, I feel fortunate to have had with, with meditation, with Buddhism, with the things that I've read, with like the family that cared for me, with the the friends that I choose to engage with, you know, and choose to have in my life. And so in some ways I'm like, Oh, it's like that. Those people are, they are children. They are, you know, and, and we all are, we're all, and it's a nice way of being like, Oh, I used to be, I used to be like that. I probably am still like that in some ways. I'm not better than anyone because I've, you know, I've walked down the path that I'm on in this direction this far. Like we all get to walk down our own paths and hopefully, I mean, one of the goals I've read about Buddhist enlightenment, the goal is to gain it so that you can also help everyone else gain it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the,
0: um, the entire idea of, um, sobriety as well is that you, you have it and see so you, you pay it forward and give it to others. Uh, and you can only keep it if you give it away is the principle of that, which I think goes with that as well with wisdom is, It's only worth having if you're at least attempting to share it with other people, I
1: would think. Yeah. Well, here's here's another like two things. One, I think this is a Picasso quote, something like uh, the first half of your life is uh, dedicated to discovering what your gift is. And then the second half of it is dedicated to giving it away. Um, And then I have a Buddhist Friend uh, who teaches classes in Buddhism, and one of the things that he said in, in at least his school of practice is that when a Buddhist teacher teaches, uh, the the archetype, the the prototypical way of teaching, is not to like lecture, not to have a syllabus, but instead to just answer the questions that people ask. That people have to be asking in order for you to give them stuff. So the idea of like, you can't force your, your information, you can't force your wisdom on someone like you gain it for yourself. And then you can be like, well, this is what I've experienced. This is what has worked for me. This is what has helped me. And then if people are listening because they want to be listening, like, Oh, what, what is it that this guy's saying? Can you say more about that? Like, Oh, that, that resonates with me. And like, I mean, that's the way I think that, you've learned, that I've learned, that we all learn, is like we come into the world and then you hear a bunch of people saying a lot of stuff, whether they're your parents, your family, your teachers, like TV shows, pop culture, other cultures, like gurus, like people who are offering wisdom from different uh, schools of thought. And you're like, oh, these ones resonate and the ones that resonate are the ones that are like oh life is about learning to learn life is about you know being kind to yourself if you're if you're beating yourself up for beating yourself up maybe seeing like the the silliness in that and being like oh maybe forgive yourself and then start that you know chain of forgiveness forgiveness atonement compassion for yourself and thus if you want to be compassionate to yourself uh Hopefully some people are like, well, of course, other people, I'll be compassionate to them. But myself, I'm the real I'm the real piece of garbage. But, you know, we're all you know, we're all just made of the stuff like, you know, you either unless you think that you uh, did have a choice and being like, I'm going to incarnate like this to learn these lessons, which there's. There's a world in which that is a useful way of thinking about things, but if you don't want to think about things like that, either you didn't choose your genetic makeup and the environment that you were raised in, uh, or you did for a reason. Uh, right. So yeah, either and if you didn't choose it, then certainly you can like if you could think about somebody else, like you know a baby raised and under adverse circumstances that you know wasn't loved enough or sheltered enough or fed enough uh in food or you know metaphorical spiritual food and then of course they're gonna turn out like if they didn't learn the things that they could have learned that you didn't that you learned or that you didn't whatever it is uh of course it makes sense to be compassionate and be like oh man that person like didn't have the chance in this in this life in this incarnation to uh, experience all the things that I was fortunate enough to and then oh, and probably there's things that i'm not that I'm not getting that I didn't learn yet that hopefully I will get to glean like maybe there you know there's some wisdom behind and certainly like there's uh so far some wisdom to go
0: right that's the that's the thing that I've loved about therapy is realizing is sort of having it pointed out or coming to realize all the things. I didn't get that I didn't realize I didn't get because I wasn't looking for them where I was just like my parents were together they loved me and uh, I was healthy and it was easy and it was great and then you kind of realize through therapy and through maybe meditation or whatever else is like oh maybe I did not get the affection or the wisdom or the guidance that I needed and it left me feeling sort of rudderless in one way or the other which is in a weird way, I'm like sort of, and I talk about this with um, sobriety as well, is like I'm glad I went through that pain because it led me to this stuff, this wisdom and this knowledge. And that's, I assume you, that's similarly what dra- brought you to um, Buddhism and practicing these things is an amount of pain or anxiety in life that was like, I don't, I don't like the way this feels. And then like you said, you see people... That you're like, I want to be like that. I want to be in that group. What are they doing? And so then you're like, oh, they wrote a book. Let me read that. And then you start connecting, like, let me try to do the things that person's doing. It's the, the attractiveness of the way certain people are. And that's what I found, again, in my alcohol recovery and through Buddhism and therapy is that I'm like, these people that go to see this therapist don't seem to be as suffering as much as I do. Let me see if I can get what they have. And they're like, I go to see this guy. I'm like, I'll go see that guy also. Yeah. Is that is that sort of what brought you... Were you suffering a lot in your mind? Was it depression or anxiety? Or are you just a really well-read person who read some Buddhist stuff and you're like, that seems good to me?
1: Uh, I think it's somewhere in between. Uh, I will fir- first say... The idea of like feeling rudderless, uh, that you, the idea of like rudderlessness, like earlier in life, like I feel like I had a similar upbringing in that, like, I was cared for, you know, in many ways, specifically enough. And, and then also our parents are human beings who were children, who are still children in some ways, uh, who are, you know, they had their parents, like, you can trace everything far enough back to people that you'd be like, oh, man, I can't believe that's the way, like, that life was, you know? And Well, just to interrupt real quick, I guess you saying that kind of reminded me, if you trace everything
0: back all the way, kept tracing it back, you could be like, you'd get all the way back to a person who's like, I don't know how to raise a child. I don't... (laughs) I mean, you could could do that in one generation, but, like, even from the beginning of time, they're like, what are we supposed to do? No one was like, hey, make sure you hug them a bunch or tell them that they're great or whatever it is. There's a lot of, like, I don't know. There was no books about it or whatever.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, though, also, if you go back uh, evolutionarily, you know, there certainly... Even without books, like chimps and orangutans, like uh, probably hug their young, Uh, and it's probably at a certain point we're like, "Ooh, the internet! This is an exciting thing." I'm sorry, I don't have time to hug you right now. I'm reading. uh, I'm writing a a book about chimpanzees hugging, but uh, (laughs) um, that could be a bit. (laughs) That is pretty fun. Uh, I like so. Here, here's an analogy. That I think will address the question that you asked me about my my path moving forward, uh, in like studying Buddhism and these sorts of spiritual like paths. Uh, I have a sort of a bit that I've been working on about how when I started doing comedy, uh, I thought I was good, and then like a year in, I would look back at a tape of my first performances. And I'd be like, Ooh, that was not good, but thank God I'm good now. And then a year later, I look back at that tape and be like, Ooh, that was not good. But thank every moment I was like, thank God I'm good now. And then every year after that, I'd be like, that wasn't good. And so I feel like part of, part of the blessing and curse of my upbringing was that I was told In a way that might be, in some ways, classically or at least stereotypically, like a Jewish upbringing of like being like told like you're so like the Jews don't have a Messiah because every one of their children is the Messiah to them. They're like, what do we what do we need somebody else for? Like you're you could do anything. You could be president. A Jew's never been president. You could do it though. Every (laughs) one of you could be. And I was led to believe that I could do anything. That I could be anything. I had this confidence and. There's a thing I learned about from the Talmud eventually, uh, this Jewish book of wisdom that uh, sa- a rabbi says, I have a piece of paper in one pocket that says this world was created for you. I have a piece of paper in the other pocket that says you are nothing but ash and dust or we are nothing but ash and dust. And those things are both true depending on the perspective that you want to take or that you need. Like Your consciousness is the center of the universe to you. And also in the grandest scheme of the universe, space and time, we are li- like so close to nothing, uh, practically speaking. And I, I, part of the thing I I sometimes talk about on stage and in life and right now, uh, that my family seemed like they were really focused on this world was created for you. And it was only like when I grew up that I was like, Oh, also this other thing is true. Also I'm nothing like, cause sometimes I'd be in front of audiences and I'd be like, I am, I am the greatest. And they'd be like, I don't know who told you that, but I was like, it was my grandmother, you know, (laughs) Uh, we're like, well, we're not your grandmother. And so I do think there was a lack, uh, in my experience, but I didn't know it. I didn't know it till later when I was like, ooh, there was a lack there. Thank goodness there's no lack now. Oh, there was a lack there. Thank, and it's like an asymptote. I don't know if you remember from like, from math, you know, you're on a graph that's like approaching, as it approaches infinity, you, you, you're approaching like fullness. You're approaching, but in, in the finite life that we live for the most part, unless you're like a divinely enlightened being, uh, you're not. You, you're never re you're getting closer and closer, but never attaining it. It's there's right. like uh, the limit as it approaches. Like it, if you got, if you get out to infinity, then you're there. Uh, right. but in finiteness, you're always just slowly, you know, gradually, incrementally taking steps towards it. So I remember, uh, I used to, before I got into like these kinds of, uh, books and ideas, uh, I remember, like, I liked Duncan Trussell, and I liked Pete Holmes, and they would always have people on their podcasts, uh, like, you know, uh, Eckhart Tolle or Tolle, I never know, uh, and they would talk about these kinds of, you know, spiritual uh like practices and processes and i was always like "Eh, i i think i get it like i don't i don't need to why do i have to read about consciousness i have a consciousness why do i have to read about existence i am existence and in a way i feel like there was something to that but also in a way there was a ton of stuff like their books are not just full of you get it. Like there's right, right. <laughs> there's practical, <laughs> valuable, meaningful, uh, experiential in for like they're sharing their paths and their stories that can then like lead you to like I remember my girlfriend introduced me to Marianne Williamson like a couple years before she started running for president and we would go see her speak and she would lecture or not lecture she would uh, sermonize she would you know orate uh in the the spirit of the text uh, a course in miracles do you know that book yeah. um it's a a spiritual text that offers great valuable things like one of the main things in it uh i think it opens i think the, the beginning of the book is Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. And therein lies the peace of God. And uh, it's a lot of, there's Christian language in it, but it's a lot of Buddhist concepts. And it's really beautiful and valuable. And one of the things that Marianne said uh, when we heard her speak once, and she might not be the only person to make this point, but is the idea that there's all these, that a lot of slogans. And it's easy to know the slogans of how to live, but knowing the slogan is much more, is is very different than following the slogan of doing the slogan. If it's like, you know, oh yeah, forgiveness, kindness, compassion, of course I can name all those things, but right. living all those things, applying all those things, you know, especially when it's challenging to, when, when you're experiencing difficulty with another person or within yourself. Uh, so I feel like, I was, you know, growing up good at like memorizing things. I was like, oh, "I I get all the I get it. I get it. I'm I'm the kind of guy who knows things, but I wasn't the kind but I wasn't applying them. I wasn't doing them. So I think that uh there was something there was nothing specific that drew me to Buddhism that I can point to, but it was I guess this overarching like trend you know like like when birds are flying and then one of them starts heading in one direction and they're like oh I guess we're all flying this way now like oh, I was right. fortunate that I had these these valuable examples of people that I didn't even know I was like following or leaning after until I was eventually like oh maybe I maybe I will read that book maybe I will like when I I maybe five or six years ago, I was like, I've heard of meditation and a lot of people that I like and respect and live in ways that I would live or would wish to live. A lot of these people do some kind of meditative practice. I haven't because it seems like a waste of time. Like I'm like, but, but there's so many garbage TV shows to watch. I'm going to watch one fewer TV show so that I can meditate for 20 minutes. And the answer now is yeah. Like it's a much better use of my own time to each morning, wake up and, uh, and do this thing that helps with the, a, a book I read by this guy, Alan Cohen offered, uh, like daily kind of affirmations, meditations, fables, lessons. And one of them was about how... The formative years of a person's life, we know, are important. We know that you know if you get, it's better to get enough nutrition, food, like touch, shelter, like love and care in in the. If you don't get that in the first couple of years of your life, you'll be at a disadvantage. And this guy says, also, there's the formative minutes of the day. Is like when you wake mm. up, the the things that you do at the beginning of the day help set you up to have a a day where you can be more successful in one way or another to to flourish if you start with meditation or with reading something that you know is calming or peaceful or you know uh insightful like something I'll often start with something from Pema Shodron or uh another you know Buddhist teacher or Ramdas. And uh and then I'll meditate and then I'll do some writing before I've looked at, you know, uh any kind of social media or the internet or the news. Yeah, that's helpful. That's, I've been trying to do that only the last few days because I have that problem
0: where I wake up and usually for a, like my phone is right next to me, so I go onto Twitter and I start every single day being like, okay, is the news horrific? Did something horrible happen in the news? Or did something happen where uh, I'm getting canceled online as people are writing, you're a piece of shit? And so I'm in dread immediately when i wake up and after i do that i go and meditate i do meditate every morning but it's right after i've looked at my social media which (laughs) i gotta skip that and i've been trying to do that and having my buddhist book next to the bed and having that be the last and first thing i do and it's helping but then i still have this addiction and fear that i'm like oh but that stuff is happening online now i just don't know it so it's hard to break that um habit, but I'm trying. But yeah, that, that's really helpful to hear that formative minutes of the day. Um, the, the thing, the thing you said about comedy is something I've mentioned before about like, Oh, I sucked, but now I'm good. It reminded me of, this is like, I equate this with anxiety. I remember distinctly in kindergarten being like, this is scary. I can't believe this. It's so much pressure and stress. And then I went to like first grade or I felt that way in elementary school and I went to middle school and in middle school, I was like, oh, elementary school was a joke. None of that mattered. That was just like nonsense. It was for kids. This is like the real shit. And then I went to high school and I was like, middle school was a joke. This is ridiculous. And then I got to like real life and I was like, oh, high school was a joke. (laughs) And I'm like, I got to get to the period. I feel like when I'm you know, deathly ill, I'll be like, oh, life was fucking silly. I didn't have to take it that
1: seriously. So I'm like, I got to get to that point now. Oh, Because yeah. there's no more levels to graduate to. Oh, no, there's always more levels. Eventually, you'll be, you know, uh, a disembodied uh, matter, energy, consciousness, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, and at that point, I'll be like, boy, that was silly. When I was a whole human, I should have... Do you know, um, uh, two things. One, have you... I, one of Pete Holmes's most recent specials, he talks about... Like, do you, he asks the audience, do you believe in the afterlife? And he talks about like the different, you know, possibilities for why or why not people might believe. And then he like personifies, he's like, People are like the afterlife. That is like that doesn't make any sense. He's like this doesn't make any sense, uh, right? And he's like, imagine before life, if, uh, and there's some disembodied consciousnesses that are just like you believe in life. <laughs> Pretty weird. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, in my own life, uh, the thing that you said re- reminds me. I remember my sixth grade teacher. I went to I went to a private school for my first uh, for like ele- for middle school for elementary and middle. And uh, I don't know if those are the same thing. I didn't learn. We didn't learn a lot. Uh, and my, I remember, we didn't get grades until seventh grade. Like uh, you didn't, there was no, no rating systems. It was just like your, your teacher got like a progress report. Like you were, you know, you were supposed to do the assignment and right. learn for clear. learning's sake. And I remember our sixth grade teacher, Val, we called her Val because that was her name. And I remember her saying to one student who like didn't do the work, one day she was like next year if you don't do that work that's gonna be a zero in ed's book ed was the seventh grade teacher she's like ed's gonna put down a zero and that's gonna and then like the idea of like always being scared with like when you get to high school like that's when it really counts that's when your permanent record when you you don't want this to be like i wonder the idea of (laughs) <laughs> like this all goes on our impermanent record. You know, this is, right, right. It, it is, I mean, and all you can do is I think in any moment where you can be like, Oh, remember that, 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 that was silly. Later. I learned that before wasn't real or silly or as big a deal as anything. And that is kind of true because it's not now also like now is the, in some ways, it's the only deal so it's both the biggest deal and the nothing deal it's the everything and the it's it's the only it's the any you know uh, right so it is it is valuable in these moments to be like oh yeah like this is like right now it doesn't matter what grades i got or if i finished high school or college like i mean for me i remember learning that some of my favorite comedians like didn't f- go to college didn't fit like but they are smart but they are successful like and there's all these different paths and that we all get to figure out what our one is both in in comedy in life in therapy in meditation in in each moment (laughs) right it's funny i'm having like one of these moments of like oh that was all silly
0: because 100% 100% of this podcast, I've been staring at the little battery icon and been like, <laughs> I'm going to lose this, and then I'll just we'll switch the thing. And now I'm like, oh, we're at an hour. This is when I usually wrap up, and it's still recording. It's not blinking. And um, a part of me, this enti- as, as much as I've enjoyed this, a part of me the whole time was like, ah, fuck, we're going to lose it. And with each moment that I enjoyed it more the fear when because I've talked about this every (laughs) week the more you have the more worried you are to lose like that's like the great fear in my life is that I'm going to lose everything I'm going to lose life or money or my wife the more you have the more the fear goes up because you have more to lose than when I had four roommates and no money and wasn't working or whatever so yeah when when you're (laughs) the, the more the more things you say that I'm like oh that's great that's really smart the more I'm like fuck, the battery's going to die. Um, but now it's like time to wrap up and the battery's still going.
1: Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah,
0: I think we have it.
1: If I may say, when you have four roommates, you want to lose everything that you have. <laughs> you... <laughs> I would like to lose everything in here. Uh, I'd like to lose this shitty bed. and. Uh... Yeah, I. Um, you certainly want to lose those four roommates. And a thing that I heard recently uh, th- is grief is like the price we pay for love or the cost we pay for love. Like if you, if you lose something, like one of my favorite quotes uh, is from the prophet by Khalil Gibran. And it's uh the greater that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. And anytime that you feel a loss, it means you had something. And so, I mean, one of the, one of the greatest, I, I regret to call it, I, I pre-gret it's, I'm not even, I haven't even done it yet, uh, but to call <laughs> it a life hack is, you know, gratitude, like to be grateful for the things that you have, like, which you do, like we, we are, I am grateful for this conversation. I'm grateful for your friendship to know you. Like, I'm grateful for my relationship. I know that you, you love your wife. You love your relationship. You are happy. Like part of like, I don't know if there's a way to in, in a moment, like, like, Switch the perspective, like do this turnaround and be like, if you're afraid to lose this podcast, if you're afraid to lose your life uh, or your wife or your mother or whatever you're afraid to lose, like the good news is you have that thing, you you have something so valuable that you're so afraid. The amount of fear that you have is commensurate to the amount of joy that you're experiencing, the amount of value, the amount of meaning that there is. And the good news is, the good news about fear is that when you're feeling it, the thing that you're afraid of isn't happening. Like, right, I read this book called The Gift of Fear, which is super, super valuable, super insightful. And I think I learned, I think that was from the book that like when a gazelle, is realizes there's a lion they're not like oh god i'm afraid they are running they are instinctually right. reacting we're the only beings like humans are the only ones that are like mm, i kind of i don't know what this feeling is like uh, it's kind of dark and there's a monster heading towards me should i run or you know um and But it was such a valuable thing to be like, if you are thinking that you're afraid of something, like, you know, when you, if you're having a panic attack, that's something completely different than being like thinking about, I'm concerned about the environment. I'm concerned about the government. I'm concerned about my relationship. I'm concerned. Like if you have, like, in some ways it's a luxury to have the time to have the thought I'm afraid or I'm concerned. Like, so to be like, oh, I'm afraid of this thing. Oh, which means literally that thing isn't happening because if it was happening, happening you wouldn't be afraid of it you would be grieving or running or in pain right yeah you told me that i think uh, a few months ago and share that with me
0: and it's really been helpful i think i've shared it on several of these episodes oh good um yeah no it's a really helpful thing to remember especially as someone i've suffered with so much anxiety of that i'm just like i'm just i'm right here right now and they talk about that I think Eckhart totally talks about all these guys talk about that is for the most part, most of the time you, if you get into the moment, you're like, nothing is really happening to me right now. I'm kind of just sitting here worrying about things. And the moment is the only thing that uh, really is matters is, is just the only <laughs> thing that's happening. So, um, Yeah. That's been really, um, beneficial to me and you've been really beneficial to me. I always enjoy, I always feel better after talking with you. I always enjoy the conversations.
1: Yeah. Well, so, um, I appreciate you being on the show. Oh, I really, I'm so always happy to have a conversation with you recorded or not. If I may, uh, offer one piece of, if one piece of advice, uh, for you specifically, because I know you and I think this will be okay to offer. Uh, how about try this every night before you go to sleep, have the last thing you do be send yourself a text, uh, that says like, Stop looking at your phone, you know, like meditate, read a book, do something else. Uh, And also because if you were canceled overnight, like wouldn't it be great to know it for less time? Wouldn't it be great to live in ignorance of that? Be like, oh, I'm going to know this for the next several hours or not the next several hours and then the rest of my life. Um, right that's a good
0: uh, it's a good point and good advice certainly. I have a note on my door that says your phone is bad for you. So <laughs> I see that right before I leave. Um but yeah, I'm working on it. It's it is like an ad- it's an addiction like similar to food in that like people that have eating problems are like but I have to eat the phone is similar where it's like, well, this is how I communicate. And I text with about 20 people a day. So I do spend a lot of time communicating with people I love. The problem is when I'm waiting for a text to come back, I'm like, I'll just look at Twitter. And it's usually someone writing, you're like a cuck liberal (laughs) asshole or whatever. (laughs) Or I get it from the other side too. I get it from both sides, which to me, I have to also connect with like, well, that's good. I'm I'm living, I am who I am. So in this day and age, my therapist always says, you should be bothering people, and I think about Bob Dylan playing to an entire audience of people booing him, and now everybody looks back at that music and is like, "That was his best period. He was brilliant." So um,
1: you got to take the lumps, I guess. You, um, I mean, if there are lumps, then it's good to take them because yeah. <laughs> they are there. And one one other thing, I know, I know we're we we've already done, reached the time where wrapping up is appropriate, but I did want to say. Another thing my girlfriend shared with me that uh, she tells me she didn't come up with, but uh, I'll say she did because she's the first source that I heard it from. But uh, another thing, I feel like a lot of wise people have shared this concept that we see the world not as it is, but as we are. So. When you tell me that, you know, like you, that I'm a help to you, it's also like you are a help to you and you are a help to me. Like we, it's nice to see in one another, uh, the things that we, we love and can be like, uh, sort of it, the same way that like, we can only know ourselves in a way that others can't, but also others can only know us in a way that we can't. Uh, and it's nice to take, if, you know, if you have enough people that you love and respect who tell you like, Hey, you're, you're good. You're okay. Like this is, you know, a meaningful thing that you're doing and feeling. And it's like, it's nice to, uh, it's good to listen to yourself. And it's also good to listen to other people who you respect, who care about you.
0: Right. Well, I feel I feel great about this. I feel better than I felt before. And I feel more wisdom. We've we've grown in the last hour, even though we're one hour closer to our death. Oh, yeah. I'm happy about it. Well, that's, um, tell
1: that's... them about your album. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, no, of course. That's good. An hour well spent. I mean, uh, the you know, they say I forget whose joke it is. Maybe Seinfeld where there, you see a movie and you're like, oh, that's two hours. I'm not getting back. It's like. It's all, you you don't, you don't get any of it back. (laughs) If you see a good movie, you're like, oh, good thing I got that, that two hours back. Uh, It's all, the time passes. Uh, But yeah, thank you. For this prompt, uh, I did record an album back when uh, that was possible to do in front of live audiences. I'm very grateful for that. Uh, The album comes out May 8th, 2020. It's available for pre order uh, starting April 17th, 2020. So if it's after that, you can pre order it, which I like to call the pre order pre-order is chaos so chaos starting april 17th and then it becomes order on may 8th and it's called aka and uh it's my it's certainly my favorite album of comedy that i've recorded i think it's the best that i've done so if you've enjoyed me in the past i i think you'll love this album and if you haven't enjoyed me in the past uh, i'm better now so i think you'll love this album (laughs)
0: Great. All right. Yeah. Check out the album. And um, yeah, thanks so much, buddy. I appreciate it. Oh. I, we can wrap up the podcast and then still say other things to each other after. Oh, we yeah. Stop. That makes um, sense.
1: Thank, thanks so much um, for having me. I love you.
0: I love you. It was great. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye.
1: Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive Producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.